0: It's the history of football we knows about, and we want to expand what we know. We'll become such intelligent gentry with every kick-to-kick show, beginning in the time 1870s, right through to the modern day. Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Casmanas to hear what they all have to say. Welcome, Dan Eddie, uh, author, busy man. Thank you for, for giving us time today.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, I think you're busier than me with all your podcasts at the moment. Oh. you're, you're uh, going great guns.
0: Potentially, but with your, you know, with the Hutto book last year, the Crimo book, you've got the S and then 150 years. So, I know you're a very busy man. So, I really appreciate you.
1: No, it's a pleasure, mate. Anytime.
0: Given that the time, so I thought because we're kind of in the middle of the 70s with our show at the moment, it'd be a great time to come and talk about uh, your two Hawthorne books that you've, you've done recently
1: yeah it's been uh, been amazing what a privilege to be tasked with writing Peter Crimmin's life story and then peter hudson's life story as
0: an as an essence supporter that I know you are like you're slowly working your way through our rivals you've done Carlton now you're at hawthorne <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a bit of been worry i've uh, become quite good friends with a lot of people at hawthorne from this from this period we're talking about and yeah. they are a great uh, a great family if you want to put it that way so it's, yeah. um, i'm a bit worried my my five-year-old boy might uh, get a few hawthorne guernseys <laughs> in the near future
0: mm. so um let's start by talking about peter Crimmins what drew you to the book what what, what made you do this
1: yeah i was uh i was a uh, as a kid i was obsessed with uh footy history and um and there was a documentary the 100 years of footy yeah, coming out in 96 which i think we all just fell in love with and there was a segment on crimo and that hawthorne period and um, I remember Gwen Cremens, his wife, was interviewed on there and um, I just thought I just thought to myself, gee, I'd love to meet her one day and, and ask about Peter and yeah. you know, fast forward twenty years and I'm sitting across from her just asking her about her Hawthorne days, doing some huddo research really. Yeah. And then um, and then Gwen became really emotional talking about Peter and we really Yeah, she broke down and we really talked openly about what went on and so we walked away from that I think we got a text between each other the next night sort of saying I think it's time's right to write this wow. book so it just sort of come from that meeting yeah That's, but I've been so fascinated for 20 years or so yeah
0: so was it an emotional journey was it hard to write because of the, how sad the story is
1: yeah it was it was um oh, it was the hardest book I've had to write because because of the sensitivities around how Peter um became ill and then and then his his death and. Uh, and he leaves behind two young boys who are four and two. And, you yeah. know, we, we've got kids ourselves of a similar age. And you just think uh, it's hard to imagine that and how they had to grow up without him. Um, and so there was some tears shed writing certain chapters. And I know when people have read it back, they've, they've shed a few as well. So yeah. it, it's obviously, uh, yeah, it still strikes a chord. Especially these.
0: reading the book, you, like, you know what's coming. So, like, he gets to the high, you know, the 71 grand final and he becomes captain. And then suddenly it's all taken away from him.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I had to try and do that the right way because you're right, we, we know the end. It's a bit like watching the Titanic movie where you know yeah. the end of the story but yeah. you're sort of going along hoping that they'll still survive somehow <laughs> yeah. and, and that, that's how I tried to portray it with Peter is the hope that he that emanated from him. You know, he was so positive about it and he was always going to beat it and Gwen just yeah. got on with the job and so even though towards the end it, it, it is the inevitable, it... There's still that hope from people, and there's still that shock when he does pass yeah. away. Yeah. Well,
0: even like he beats it to start with, and then it comes back.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so and he definitely
0: had that hope, and like you get that sense through reading it that you know, all right, everything's all, all good now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why the second time, yeah, it was a huge shock. But um, treatments were very different back then. Um, I spoke with someone at Peter McCallum Institute, like who works there today, and they were able to give me the the modern version of what could have happened if he was still around now and I was able to interview someone from that uh, that period when it happened and, and get their take on how um, how little there was in in comparison to today in terms of being able to save him you know
0: well the whole like as, as like very similar to you I watched that documentary with the AFL put out and you know he had cancer and he died but like the whole story of how he got it and then kind of just spent a whole season dealing with it and, and basically taping his testicle to his leg. Yeah, that was incredible and, and like that whole you know having to hide that weakness. Yeah, was I mean that that was probably the saddest thing because yeah. obviously if he had have taken action sooner, he'd still be here.
1: Yeah, there's a good six or more month period where not much action was taken and we look into that and. And what could have been done and maybe what should have been done. And, and then you add in Peter's stubbornness because he was just so determined that this was just an injury. I was just going to work through the pain and keep playing. And oh, but the it, lengths he went to. Uh, yeah, by the end it's so extreme that you just—I just I just marvelled at the last couple of games he was able to play because there's no oh, way you or me would have been and, out there running around.
0: And that's what struck me. Like I didn't know that side of the story. So the lengths he went to, the, like injecting his testicle and yeah. painkiller and taping it to his leg, like, who does that?
1: No, and that's where even some of his teammates had no idea. So where, know, did, where <laughs> did you find that out? Through <laughs> uh, Gwen? Through Gwen and through um, uh, his, uh, Peter's brother, Bernie, who was later a doctor at Hawthorne. Um, and, uh, yeah, through them and then... Um, yeah, Gwen, Gwen just... I said at the start, you know, we need to really... This is going to hurt, you know. But we need to delve into all this stuff, and I appreciate it. it's not going to be fun to talk about. And but she was amazingly honest with everything, and wanted the full story out there so people really yeah. knew. And that was that was part of it. The yeah. it's hard to imagine that anyone would go through what you know today. If you if you have a slight niggle, the sports science, science people sort of say, you know. Um, don't train this week or something yeah. whereas back then it was uh, if you can don't still train. move yeah. get out there and train sort of thing and
0: because pre- that season he was going for like he was in the running to be captain so there was just no he didn't want to show any weakness at
1: all yeah that's right Um, you know he's he took a lot of pride in being the captain of that team and he really embraced that so yeah. the last thing he wanted to do was and John <laughs> Kennedy in that era you know you nothing below the neck was uh, an injury yeah, if, you that's could, right. if you could run, nothing above the neck but if you could run you you kept running
0: now my stepmom who's clotting around here she always used to tell us don't flick each other with towels remember Peter Crimmins so oh, there's right. this, and, and I like that you actually addressed the fact that he it wasn't the flick that like didn't give him cancer and you've even gone and spoken to someone to confirm like there's no way that could literally give you cancer yeah because so,
1: I, yeah because Don Scott um, has been weighted with that um, that um, incident forever, really, and uh, you know, and I rather bravely asked Don about it, and uh, <laughs> and and got his take, and then obviously have Gwen's take from what Peter had told her, and then. But I thought, you know, yes, it might have caused the pain when that flick happened, but is that a cause? And no I was able to he the the uh, the doctor at Peter Mac was just adamant. There's no way. The worst. Yeah. It could have done and maybe in a good sense was bring an issue to life like you suddenly notice there's a pain well there that's that what
0: i gathered from reading yeah. it that's exactly what happened so thank you for clarifying that and I was yeah go back was, and say, oh, that can't give you cancer so yeah i can flick anyone with a towel i want yeah well try not to flick me just <laughs>
1: <laughs> it still doesn't feel very nice um so
0: you've read you've written the dick reynolds book as well and that's obviously about someone like he dick, dick reynolds wasn't alive either so how did writing these two books differ
1: um yeah there wasn't the same sensitivity around Dick, so i was able to um yeah
0: i, I suppose the same s- sadness as well
1: yeah yeah sorry yeah so he lived a good long life dick and he just had lived an amazing life and it was but it, it was a challenge when you're trying to get to the heart of why he did certain things but you don't have him to tell you yeah um and that's why i do just try and interview as many people as i can because um f- with dick reynolds you know i was able to interview guys from the 30s and 40s whose memories were better than <laughs> yeah, mine it was yeah. amazing and then crimo thankfully it's a generation later so you had a lot more guys and, and women from the 70s that were able to fill me in first um, hand accounts yeah, yeah that's so. really important i think that's uh, one of the pillars of why i how i produce my books is yeah. to really get as much of a first-hand account as you can yeah yeah, yeah
0: of course um and the last thing about on Crimmins, 1975 grand final was leaving him out the right call, do you think?
1: Yeah, well, we've just seen Sam Doherty come back and um, play physical footy for Carlton after undergoing similar sort of stuff, so yeah. you, you wonder. Um, Peter was adamant that he was yeah, physically I mean, he capable what, five, of playing. five games in the reserves leading yeah. up to it also. And yeah, exactly, and that's where my mind goes to. I think he could have played. But I did actually interview John Kennedy about it, and he's and even though he said, yes, he maybe could have played, I was just purely thinking of his health, and I just did not want to risk him getting that one knock that just might have tipped him over the edge. So, yeah. I can understand both sides, but the Crimmins family were adamant that Pete could have played, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, and his last game was against Fitzroy in 75, in Yep. Would have been a much better way to go out, as your last game being a grand final, yeah. win, win, lose or draw. Or win,
1: yeah, or lose. I, I, even if he comes off the bench in the last quarter, or so, you know, like imagine him just bursting on for thirty minutes when yeah. the game's still sort of in the balance. You just you never know.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it'll always be one of those things. Who knows? Like a what if? Yeah, which football is riddled with those kind of questions. Yes.
1: Um,
0: so moving on then. So was the idea of so was the Hudson book idea. What had you had first, and you were interviewing for that, and then you came up like yep. you developed that.
1: Yeah. So after I finished Dick Reynolds in 2014, I was really keen to do another biography, and um, I just approached Hutto out of the blue because again, I was a bit like Dick. I was a bit surprised that his book had never been published before. And yeah. But once you meet Peter and you realise what a humble bloke he is, you you can see why he's never pursued it. He's okay. had been asked a couple of times, but never really went anywhere. And Something clicked with us, which was great, and um, and then uh, he had a few issues, health issues, family-wise, and he we put it on hold for a while, which is sort of when I met Gwen Crimmins. and yeah. so the timing worked out well to do Crimo. But yeah. uh, but Pete always said if uh, if we pick it up again, you'll be the one to do it. So it yeah. was, so overall, it was like a seven-year process, but it was yeah.
0: You, how many people have you interviewed for this? Uh
1: s- similar, <laughs> probably 150, maybe yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again you you go down to tassie where he grew up and you try and find school friends and yeah. um, um people who saw him meet his wife steph and people who f- first saw him kicking a ball in the backyard and things like that and then um try and really trace it back and again you know, a lot of people from that era that you know that generation's starting to pass away so you you try and find video of them or yeah. where they're interviewed in a newspaper or so just to get some sort of first-hand quotes which yeah, is course. really important
0: yeah. um very different structure as well like the crimo one like your dick reynolds one is very much start at birth and kind of just travel through their career which is great for people like me who are making the podcast we do because i can just read each year as i'm studying yeah. but this one is very different you firstly you're telling the story through interviews yep. and secondly you don't start at the start you start kind of the day he injures himself in yeah. 1972
1: Yeah I was trying to think what's the big impactful moment that gets everyone's attention and and then Peter's knee injury at the prime of his career is pretty big so I thought it was a good way to show just how significant he was and then we can go back and uh, the style of the book was taken from uh, a couple of biographies I read in America on a couple of famous writers uh, Truman Capote and um, J.D. Salinger. um, They're the biographies on them had been told in the first person like this. So I just, I thought, geez, we don't see that with footy bios. Yeah, not at all. Much at all. So I thought, why don't we try something different? And I explained it to Pete and he didn't quite understand what it was. But when I showed him what I was doing, him and Steph loved it. So after that, it was full steam ahead. So was that you
0: also wanting to challenge yourself in your own style?
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, I just want, I read a lot of those overseas sports books and biographies and that, and I'm always trying to get different ideas or different styles for how to approach it like the crimo book um is unashamedly um molded in the similar form to um green bay packer coach Len- uh, vince lombardi his biography yeah. uh, which is probably the best sports biography you'll read and so i've tried to sort of do crimo along those lines yeah. even though it is a traditional format it just the in- the depth of information in Crimo was, for that reason, and then Hutto again, you can provide the same sort of depth, but you can do it in a different way, and so that's what I tried to do, and yeah. thankfully it seems to have yeah, okay. as well. And when you do that again, will you? Like, yeah, the next yeah. one I'm doing is on John Kennedy, so another Hawthorne legend, but and that'll <laughs> probably be more the traditional style, but yeah. uh, but I, I yeah, I, the feedback's been good with. Uh, football genius, so I—it's something I wouldn't mind doing again. Yeah. Nice. When I just gotta pick the right subject, they're not all. Yeah, I don't think they all fit that structure. I just sort of, yeah. Yeah, of I'll know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how do you source it? Like, how do you find all these people? Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. When you're talking about Peter Hudson, you—you know—people just come out of the woodwork to talk about him, which is which is handy. But again, once you start to build up some relationships with people, like through Crimo so suddenly you've interviewed a lot of Hawthorne people from the same era so you you go back to them I'm always conscious of stories I might be doing in the future so if I am interviewing John Kennedy about Peter Crimmins I'll also ask him about Peter Hudson because I just know Fisher. that it's probably used that at yeah, some point um yeah. and I do that a lot so um but then it's it's interesting when you interview a friend or, or a family member and they say oh Joe used to live next door to us. You should uh, speak to him. And <laughs> yeah. suddenly you've got another interview. And that, that happened with, with Hutto. You know, there's people that lived around the street in New Norfolk who used to kick the footy with him as a kid, The young girls and boys. So I was able to interview them and get their take on yeah. it. And yeah, So it sort of just snowballs once you start getting into the story. Because you, you get into a story thinking you know the general gist of it. Yeah. But it's not until you actually start to get into a subject and you think, oh... I didn't realise he went down, you know, I didn't realise he did this or he kicked all these goals here or he had a car crash here or whatever yeah, it okay. is, yeah. and that then opens up a whole new avenue. How long did you spend in tassie? Um A couple of weeks all up. Um, yeah, I was lucky. A few people down there helped take me around to the right people and took me on a bit of a footy ground tour just so I can get a feel for all the grounds. And yeah, yeah. Um, and I just I just like going and walking in their shoes, you know. Yeah, so of with Primo, I walked up around Shepparton where he grew up and and areas around Hawthorne and same with Huddo, you know. I just walked around New Norfolk and, and Hobart and just walked on the grounds that he played on and got a feel for where, yeah. how the wind would blow and things like that just to get a real understanding of his world when he was growing up.
0: Yeah, of course. And how, how involved was the great man himself?
1: Yeah, well, that was the fun thing, uh, you know. My other biographies haven't had the subjects <laughs> to, to do it whereas with pete it was just a constant dialogue so we we're like, we were able to um just talk yeah we, he'd ring me if he if anything popped into his head he'd ring, he'd ring me or I'd, yeah. I'd ring him and say i've just spoken to this person can you just clarify this or can you elaborate yeah. on this and oh, so you can
0: actually run things by him to see if it was yeah, yeah. and we'd That's, go back yeah. and forth
1: he never he never said don't put this in or don't i don't want their view told or yeah. any of that he just he, it was balanced out with other people's opinions as well and he was he was appreciative of that. yeah
0: yeah awesome um you're saying you want to start with an impactful thing and you started with him injuring himself in Mm. round 172 do you consider the helicopter story as your starting point as well
1: yeah i did yeah i thought we'd get back i thought we'd move that to the middle of the book because you'll get better context of just how great a comeback that was um because, yeah, with all the lead-up years, you suddenly realise this guy was just a, a goal-kicking powerhouse um, and then suddenly he's gone for 16 months and then he comes back and has this one amazing comeback game <laughs> and kicks eight goals against the top team after no training, basically. Um, Flying
0: in on the morning of the game.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's so much drama in that day and I <laughs> thought, no, nah, we need the context before we get yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah,
0: good idea. And one, one thing that always sticks out with Hudson is his inability to, to kick that record-breaking goal, but he's quite okay with that, isn't he? He's very content with the fact that he shares that record with Bob Pratt.
1: Yeah, now, I think at the time, <laughs> I think at the time he was pretty determined to, and you see, he kicks, he does kick 151, but the umpire calls it back. I thought um, like the
0: football gods didn't want him to, yeah, to break that. Yeah,
1: and that, I think when he reflected on that, that's when he realised, you know what, this is, this is meant to play yeah. out how it did, and... And then he went to Bob Pratt's funeral and they talked about how special the one hundred fifty was and that really rammed home to Pete that this was this was just how it, how it yeah, played out. It and was just as the fact that
0: Peter Hudson had played an extra, what, five games or something in the season.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah. Just looking at Bob Pratt's you've done it for your research and just to look at that season alone you oh, just it's think ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. it's an amazing effort but um so but I think at the time Pete was pretty eager to <laughs> get that record well it's
0: funny because the start of the 72 season I some company offered a big prize pool of money mm. if a player could break that record so they're trying mm. to make this incentive no one ever has obviously but no that's but everyone right. was wanting it to happen
1: yeah and we I think we all assumed it would happen it was just a, a progression year on year I mean Pete Pete, one of Pete's proudest years is the year before in in nineteen seventy to kick one hundred and forty six in a home and away season. They didn't play a final that year, so if they'd have made the finals, he breaks the record. Yeah, Um, that year alone is unbelievable when you think about it. And you had Jezza and McKenna doing the same thing. But yeah, and you got all three together, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was able to. That was um, amazing. Yeah, to spend a morning with the three of them and talk about their goal chase and. Um, and they really drove each other on. They were always conscious in the newspapers, particularly McKenna, I think. He was very conscious in the paper of Hutto's kick 12 yeah. this week. I've yeah. got a kick 13. And uh, to have lived in that, I mean, we lived through the Modra, Dunstall, Dunstall, Lockett, Dunstall Lockett and Lockett Ablett. and Ablett period in 93. And we know how captivating that was. So to have been there in 1970 yeah. would have just been And you've blowing. got
0: Wade as well, who didn't have a big year in 1970, but has just come off kicking 100 yeah. in the last two seasons, I believe. So
1: Exactly. So Pete's... Eager to get past him again, yeah. And Wade has a few injuries and a few suspensions, and he's he he doesn't reach the ton in seventy. But again, to have the four of them, um, how almost every game you went to, one of them would have been playing each week. So you would have been seeing this amazing drama play. Yeah.
0: So how how do you compare Hudson then to people like Lockett and Coventry and Dunstall and those champions?
1: Yeah. If you look at the stats alone, um, and we we probably get caught up in our era and who was the best player we saw in our era because you and me are too young to have seen Hutto play so you, you think of Lockett and Lockett's probably the best I've seen live but um, but when you look at the stats, and the the stat alone that Pete's most proud of is the 5.64 yeah. goals per game. <laughs> Just and edges out Coleman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Coleman's in the AF, VFL, AFL team of the century and yeah. was made a legend before Hutto was. And yet, yet Pete's been able to kick more goals than him. And um, so that's the one. And as we know today, you're playing on carpet and you've got a roof and the yeah. defenders aren't allowed to breathe on you and all these... And the training's obviously better, and all this. But um, so for Pete to do that with one log, waterlogged medicine ball, yes. and the conditions that Glenferry Oval offered up, and yeah. and most other grounds, um, yeah. And the and the defenders could literally beat the crap out of you, really. So for him to do that, I think that sits alone. That puts him in the question for the best ever. If you, I asked David Parkin, who he was a selector in that. Team of the century, and yeah. and he played with Hutto and coached him as well. And I said, you know, why why wasn't Hutto in the team? And he said, look, John got the nod, John Coleman, purely because he was more spectacular. So he was more yeah. of a crowd okay. pleaser. But he, but Pete was in the conversation. I think as Lockett, be, yeah. yeah, I think Lockett, Wade, uh, no, no, I don't think Wade was in that top three or four. I think Coventry, but it was probably Coleman or Lockett. Dunster was there, yeah. and Huddo was there, and Coventry, yeah. But I think they're always leaning towards Coleman just because he did the spectacular. And because he kind of just faded
0: away so quickly, whereas Hudson Hudson and Coleman, the story is very similar where they both did their knee, but yeah. Hudson then came back. Yeah. Which I find even more impressive because he, he had that helicopter game where he kicked eight goals, and then he came back in, what was it, 77, where he kicked a yeah. ton again.
1: Yeah, and that season, again, is another real proud moment for him because he you know, he and everyone else thought he was done. So he comes back tentatively, tentatively starts playing a few games with Glenorchy, coaches them to a premiership, starts kicking bags and bags of goals, and then Hawthorne go, well, if you're kicking goals, you might as well be back with us. (laughs) So so he flies in and out each week from from his home in Hobart there and um, kicks 110 goals. And, uh, you know, and then we don't see him again in Victoria, really. Um, So... For him that was enough to say, you know, I've sort of some he became the first guy to kick five centuries. Yeah. It's now Lockett and Dunstall, I think, have the record. But yeah. he um he was the first one. So that was the real crowning point on his VFL career. Absolutely. And then he went back to Tassie and uh, just happened to kick <laughs> 191 in <laughs> 1978 and 203, I think it was in in yeah. 1979. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> and so he's kicked what 2,000 plus goals in his yeah. senior career across two states, hasn't
1: he? Yeah. So I, we, I had some help with some people in Tassie, and we were able, able to break down every, find every game of senior footy that he played wow. across all levels. And it was, from memory, it was 356 games, and he was held goalless five times. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and his first time was about his seventh season. So yeah. um, it shows just every time he went out, you knew he was going to do something. Yeah. And, and um, it so 5.88 goals per game across all senior competitions. That's a state footy, state games in yeah. Tassie, night games, everything. I mean, to go out and almost kick six every time you appear on a football field is unbelievable.
0: Isn't it? And then, like, with the, the whole Buddy Franklin kicking a 1,000 goals this season, like... You forget that there's other players who have kicked over a 1,000 goals in senior leagues around the country. Like yeah. we, we did a little bit of a deep dive on that recently. and You've got the six players who have done it, but you've got Hudson who has done it across two two leagues. You've got players like Ken Farmer and mm. that in, in other states who have done the same thing but just don't get as recognised, which yeah. is a shame.
1: Yeah, and it is a shame and you see that reflected in the Australian Football Hall of Fame where I, mean, I don't think there's a VFA player in there. You know, There's been <laughs> yeah. some great VFA names and then yeah. you look at in, in Non-Victorian angles, and you think, well, there's a lot more there. I know. I Realise the AFL's the the top competition, so they probably they deserve to get the most weighted amount yeah. in there. But we need to probably be more expansive of Absolutely these other do, ones yeah. because if we grew up in WA or SA or Tassie and we see these other guys doing what they do, I think we'd be worshipping them Absolutely as much as yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, so, what are your thoughts on a Tassie team coming in, and how would how would the legacy of Hudson fit into that?
1: Yeah, well, Pete's all for it. He just, I know he just, he's not someone who likes to court controversy, so he doesn't want to come out and say yes or no. But he, of course, he'd love to see it, yeah. and, and I think we all would. I'd buy a membership if they, yeah, if a team come in. Um,
0: would they call their leading goal kicker the Hudson Medal? Because I think that's already yeah. the leading goal kicker in Tassie is called the Hudson Medal, isn't it?
1: No, nah, it is in a junior comp.
0: I'm not sure... Sh- May- oh, no, um,
1: nah, there was one in a junior comp. I'm not sure if it is in terms of a, a wider state competition. I have to check that, actually. <laughs> I should know that. Um, but um, they would... I think they'd honour a few of their greats, yeah, in how, whatever how way. How they choose between them? Between yeah. Hudson and
0: Stewart and Baldock and Hart?
1: It's, when you're on the ground there, Hudson and Baldock are talked about just on a different level. To yeah. the, the other guys are... Greatly admired Ian Stewart and Royce Hart. Yeah. You know, they just, they love what they were able to achieve. But I think because Huddo and Bulldock gave a lot back to the state post-footy. Yeah, like okay. Bulldog was there in politics yeah, and he stayed. Course. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and Hutto's, Hutto was a huge influence in helping to get Hawthorne playing games in Tassie. He, yeah, he did a lot behind the scenes for that and yeah. with Ian Dicker and a couple of others. And so I think those two would be the first two they would honour. Yeah. yeah. And... Yeah, it would be interesting to see where how they honoured him. You're, you're right, leading goal kicker would have to be the <laughs> Hutto Award, and maybe the best and fairest is the Bulldog Medal or something. Yeah. But um, but I, the only thing I think that concerns Pete, and that is the financial side of it. But it, yeah. if if that can be sorted, and the AFL can help really like they've done with Gold Coast, um, then he would he'd be their number one supporter. Yeah. Well, it already. sounds
0: like it's going ahead from everything I'm reading. Yeah.
1: Exactly. We we just hope that the next CEO comes in and is as big for Tassie as, as um. well, not that Gil's probably champion the cause, but he's <laughs> at least open, opened the idea yeah. to it, you know, because yeah. it seems shut off for so long. Yeah. So, you just hope the next one goes down the same path. But um, I think the groundswell of oh, support, we yeah, just have to make it. I mean, Gold Coast has been hit and miss, yeah. probably more miss. Um yeah. And and they're happy to really fund that and try and build that, and it probably will never get the membership level that a Tassie team no, could not get, at all. you know. So I think there's, the argument's almost mute now. But in it already
0: seems like the Gold Coast is going to be the Tassie's number one rival because of what Tony Cochran's constantly saying <laughs> about them.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that would actually suit the AFL because yeah. uh, they build a rivalry out of nothing. Yeah. So um, yeah, but I, I think it's become a no-brainer. It's just where they put the 20th team after that to even it up. Yeah, I I agree. Um, So,
0: question for you, who's got the bigger legacy, Hudson or Crimmins?
1: (coughs) Yeah, well, I think... (laughs) Of all the clubs I've been to, I've researched stories on North and Carlton and obviously a lot on Essendon, and there's no player... And I'm talking Lee Matthews, Dick Reynolds, anyone. There's no player who... Drips off the walls of a football club more than Crimo does at Hawthorne. Still? You walk you walk into the gym, Sir Peter Crimin's gym, there's okay. a big portrait, it might be that photo, yeah, up on the wall. Um you go through the corridors, there's Crimo here, there, and everywhere. There's something Hawthorne have never forgotten him, even though he's twenty eight when he passed away, yeah. and he's you know, and so in that sense he's he's really truly part of the spirit of Hawthorne. Yeah. Peter's a different. Uh, Peter Hudson's different again because he, A, he's you know he's still alive and he's very presentable. You know he's very approachable and he's very recognisable and I th- so I think he'll live on more in the younger generations for the pure fact that we've seen him yeah. po- a long time post footy. You know, yeah, so yeah, he's yeah. lived in our memories for That's such a, a long time. You know, and, we, and
0: I suppose as you were saying, his legacy is across Hawthorne and Tasmania.
1: Yeah, exactly, and. Oh, even, yeah, countrywide you can say Peter Hudson and people know who he is, you know. Yeah. He's, we've had a lot of interest from South Australia since the book's come out, you know. He, he didn't realise he was that love there and I'm sure if yeah. we were, if anyone asked about him in Perth, we'd probably get the same thing. And, yeah. Um, so there's a universal love for Pete that I haven't seen. For You know, with social media posts and things, you can get a bit of activity and people will comment. And, yeah, yeah. But if I put a picture up of Huddo... It'll get two or three times the amount of feedback to what any other subject yeah, okay. I've ever put up. Yeah. Um, so there's something about him that people just love. Yeah. And it, he is approachable, he is humble, he, he was sensational. Um and we, we get we've been able to age with him, you yeah. know, we've been able to see him for a lot longer. So yeah. I think that's um it all weighs up. And um so they have very different legacies. Uh, they were both best friends too, so the families were the best of friends. And yeah. um, But Huddo, yeah, we're lucky. We've still got many, many years of Huddo around to yeah. hear all these stories yeah. and say so he will live on for a different reason.
0: Awesome. Um, so these books can be found at any bookshop?
1: Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, my stock's been a bit slow arriving, so yeah. I can't direct you to my website at the moment. Yeah. But Hardy Grant Books or uh, um Uh, slatterymedia.com, all those areas. But, uh, you know, the book's been out now for a week or two and it's been getting some good um, support from everyone, so thank you. And Pete's Pete's really wrapped with it. So if Pete's happy with it, you should be (laughs) too.
0: Um, And so what's next for you? You've got obviously the S and then 150 stuff, 150 years celebration coming up.
1: Yeah, I've been privileged to write our club history, mate, the 150 years, um, uh, the Red and Black collection. How's
0: that going to differ from the uh, Always Striving?
1: Uh, very different. Yeah. yeah, it's a real collector's item one, so it's a it's a much more expensive book, but it has a lot of pull out items like medals and yeah. um I, I I contact a lot of past players and officials and got some letters Great. that that are pull outs as oh, well. Awesome. So, you know, you hear from Leon Baker and you hear from <laughs> Ron Andrews and uh Terry Danaher wrote the forward, Um. Uh, Gavin Wanganim wrote a letter. You get all these different Ken Fraser. Yeah. So you get some real cool touch and feel items yeah, as well, nice. and then some amazing photos in there. It's a real one-off collector's item that I think everyone will love. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm hanging out for it. And you've got the Fabric of Essendon podcast that you're releasing weekly at the moment?
1: Yeah, yeah, so to tie in with the 150 years, so uh, I was, uh, again, privileged to be able to just pick and choose who I wanted to interview, <laughs> and some weren't available, unfortunately, but I was able to get quite a good selection. I think uh, we've had Mark Harvey and um, Ken Fraser and a few of these guys uh Simon Madden we got Gavin Wanganine, yeah, yeah. and um, Graham Moss came over from WA we interviewed him and so I think yeah Bomber fans have been enjoying having a look back at yeah, the absolutely. club's history I think we haven't had a lot of success of late so it's been fun to talk about <laughs> some of those periods
0: and anything else on the horizon that you can share
1: yeah, uh, um, yeah so I am starting John Kennedy's biography which again you go into it a bit nervous because you, you're the one tasked with telling the story of this absolute icon. So, uh, so that's another challenge again, which I'm looking forward to. But uh, yeah, you, again, you want to, you, you can't capture these people the wrong way because they are yeah. just such icons. Um,
0: Speaking to Kennedy, was that intimidating?
1: Uh, I thought it would be. Yeah, I, I, I got to interview him twice. I went to his house, one for Dick Reynolds because he played against the Dick, icons. and then. Um, and then one about it was about Hutto, but I was able to delve into Crimo as well. And um, yeah, I went there nervous as both times, but he couldn't have been warmer and yeah. more engaging. And his wife Dolce was very hospitable as well. Yeah, and uh, it was a very special um, memory for me. Um, yeah, so that's going to be that's going to be in the works for the next couple of years probably. But of next year, hopefully, I'll have a book out on the '72 and '73 Grand I, Finals, uh, that, Carlton yeah. Richmond. Saga.
0: Yeah, that's the going into that's a really interesting rivalry that. Yeah. Especially when you consider Collingwood was like finishing on top those years, but didn't really do
1: much. No, and I interviewed, I spoke with a supporter, real passionate um, Essendon supporter, and he who really remembers that year in great detail. And he said, "You know, Collingwood were on top all year, but we never felt they were the premiership team. But we just always thought it was Carlton Carlton and then Richmond and then." what plays out over those couple of grand finals and then the lead-up years as well is quite fascinating, as yeah, you know. And So I've been interviewing a few of those people from both teams, so that's probably the next one. That's Yeah, nice. There. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time, Dan. really appreciate you uh, stopping by and, and chatting about, you know, Crimo and Hutto. I
1: oh, appreciate it. Thanks for the interest, mate, and uh, keep doing what you're doing because uh, you're bringing all these <laughs> minor details of seasons to life that we've yeah. forgotten over the years, so it's been fun listening. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, mate.
0: To find out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, wwwkick You can contact us via email at kick at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kick Thanks so much for listening.